0: Welcome to the IC Interviews. My name's Alex Newman, a writer at the Investors Chronicle, and this week my guest is the American investor, former fund manager and financial commentator, Jim Rogers. A noted China and commodities bull, he moved to Singapore in 2007 so he and his family could be in Asia, and closer to what he argues is the economic centre of the world. I began by asking him whether the continent's growth had surpassed his expectations in the 12 years since he last spoke to the magazine.
1: Well, you say the continent. I mean, it's a big continent. There are 3 billion people. You know, China has continued to become to be the most successful country in the world in the past 20, 30 years um, by any any kind of. I, I guess by nearly any kind of measure that you can use. Um, Vietnam, of course, has done well. Many Asian countries have continue to do extremely well. Um, so, yes, um, I, my children speak Mandarin, and they will continue to speak Mandarin because in their lifetime, 21st century, you know, Asia is going to be the place to be. It doesn't matter whether I like it or not. And it doesn't matter whether anybody likes it or not. No, the world is always moving on. And the world is moving on again to Asia. Mm. The European nations have staggering debt problems, demographic problems. Japan, America. If, there are any, if there's any light at the end of the tunnel, it is in Asia. But they'll have problems. Alex, they'll have huge problems. There're going to be bankruptcies in China. Going to be shocking things happen. But I'd rather be here than there.
0: One feature, I suppose, economists look at the "quote unquote" developed world, or the, I suppose, the West really is, is what they're talking about, and, and they they talk about stagnation. They're looking at, I suppose, the pressures of well, aged populations, not aging populations. They already have aged considerably. For all the West talks about the rise of China, the PRC still has to handle this big fiscal pressure now, doesn't it, of of an aging population and a, and a proportion of the workforce. Which is shrinking relative to the to the whole? How, how does it how does it do that from here?
1: Well, everything you just said is correct, but uh, we have a few. I mean, Japan is much worse. The population in Japan has been declining for ten years, and the debt's mm. been skyrocketing for thirty years. Taiwan, many places in Asia, many places in the world have declining populations and are terrible birth rates. So we have. Experiments are places we can observe, if you will. I don't know. Certainly China, that one child policy was a huge mistake. Mm -hmm. They've reversed it to some extent. But you can't make people have babies. You can tell them they can, but you can't make it. And they're not rushing out and having five children again. So, yes, China is going to have those kinds of problems. But we all have, we can read Investor's uh, Chronicle and find out how it's going to work out because we can watch japan and a few other places what
0: does the, this year show us or or, or show you about the, the the various ways governments and populations in asia have handled the coronavirus versus the rest of the world
1: well uh, alex uh, I, i've learned in my decades you can't trust governments. Who knows if any of them are telling the truth? Uh, I do know that China seems to have done a less bad job. I do know when I go on the Internet or in China, I see all the shops are full, the bars are full, the streets are full. So something is happening there. You can crash that with Bristol or nobody's on the streets um, and other places around the world. So Asia does seem to have done a less bad job going forward. Um, Now, they say, the ones who say anything says, well, we were prepared. We had SARS. We've had this before. And so we were in a state of readiness. Uh, Who know? Uh, We certainly know the United States had plenty of notice and did nothing. You know, did nothing at all. I mean, Mr. Trump, for at least two months, did not, didn't even have tests. Didn't even have tests. Well, the Asians say we were ready, we were prepared, mm. and we took action, and that's why we're less bad. Uh, is it correct, I don't, Alex? If you believe governments, you better get another job. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> you're supposed to be the skeptic sure. about
0: people like that. <laughs> Uh, I, I suppose, uh, in a way, that we can't avoid governments and, and what they say and what they do. At the same time, there's at the same time this year, we you know there's been a lot of buzz about Chinese financial markets opening up, and I suppose the, the question for UK investors or, or Western investors who perhaps don't uh, understand the dynamics of, of Chinese politics or just just see it as a, a bit of a black box, how do they? They balance what is clearly a big opportunity investment-wise with, I suppose, concerns around state interference. And I'm, I'm, I suppose, I'm thinking about the suspension or the delay to the the Ant Group IPO recently. Is, is is that a big event for you? Well, if,
1: uh, two point one, they have been opening up. You know, certainly since two thousand five. Not nearly as fa- I'd open it today. I don't know what the delay is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know the historic and bureaucratic reasoning and, and thoughts and process, but I would do it today. This is not uh, 1920. This is 2020. A strong and powerful economy, et cetera. Et cetera. But, uh, you know, I'm not Chinese. I can't tell them what to do. Mm. They do continue to open up not uh, nearly as fast as I would or as fast as they should, I don't think. As far as, and let me go back to that. From my perception, and I, for the last few years when I've been in China, I've been stunned by all of the, what do they call it, B2B financing. I mean, you go in a big office and there are 40 kids, of 40, 20 young people in their young 20s all on their computer putting together loans as fast as they can. I, mean, I have no clue if the borrowers know what they're doing or if the lenders know what they're doing. I, I mean, no, I do have a clue. I know they don't. I see these guys working. So it, it's totally out of control, if you ask me, just as an anecdotal observer. So from my point of view, I wondered why it took them so long to clamp down and, cl- and do something about it. I'm not, speaking, I'm not picking on Ann or Jack mm-hmm. Ma now. I'm just saying it is a totally out of control was from what I could observe situation. And it's a good thing China, if you ask me, is clamping down because China's going to have more debt problems, serious debt problems. Nobody would ever lend money to China. They didn't have debt problems before, but now they're building up and somebody in Beijing seems to be understanding. Uh, Is closing ant some kind of repression, or is it uh, responsible regulation? I think it's the latter, but, you know, I'm not in Beijing. I don't have a clue. So I don't take that as bad a sign as some do, especially since Beijing in the last couple of months, well, last few several weeks keep saying, Opening up and they do open up. It is easier and easier to invest there. Just yesterday, they made it easier for Chinese to invest outside of China. Actions are taking place. I mean, you could interpret, and maybe you have it right, but my, my interpretation is different. But I do see real actions on the ground opening up. Not enough, but it's yeah. happening.
0: And on the other side of the coin there, and sort of jump around a little, obviously the uh, the, the Chinese state is, is a massive owner of another source of debt that's the the. US. So it looks like in the in recent years, Chinese ownership skyrocketed over you know after the financial crisis, it's sort of leveled off in the, in the last few years. What do you see coming next? Do you see selling or is, it, is it, are we in a brinksmanship position?
1: the Chinese selling? Well let me go back. Uh, 2008, we had a huge problem in the world because of too much debt. This is a broader answer. Uh, since 2008, debt everywhere has skyrocketed. It's staggering how much debt the world has added. So but the next time we have a problem, it's going to be the worst in my life worst in your lifetime and certainly the worst in my lifetime because I mean you remember 2008? I mean it's unbelievable. How much debt has gone up since then, so it has to be a very bad crisis next time is is china everybody's going to be selling next time around because we're all going to be trying to survive doesn't matter what you have u s bonds doesn't matter cotton amazon everybody's going to be selling everything now will the Chinese sell their u s dollars? Uh, I would suspect. I'm leading to a different answer to a different question. Uh, I own a lot of US dollars at the moment because when the next turmoil comes, many people seek a safe haven. The dollar is perceived as a safe haven. I mean, it's not. America's the largest debtor nation in the history of the world, and the debt's getting worse every day. So, but people think it is, and so when the term turmoil comes, people are going to buy dollars. I my plan is they're going to buy dollars, it's going to get overpriced, might even turn into a bubble. um, At which point, I would have to sell it, and I would presume other people would too if it does work out that way. Not just the China, I mean, a lot of people will own US dollars at that point, and a lot of people own US dollar debt. As I said, the US is the largest debtor nation in the history of the world. Everybody, everybody will own a lot of US dollar debt and a lot of people will have to sell it. Not a, maybe not a direct answer to your question, no, no. but the answer to your a, question.
0: A, a very interesting one as well. And uh, I suppose it, it takes me to the, the next thing I'm sort of interested in getting your, your thoughts on is what would have to happen for the renminbi to step up as any sort of safe haven uh, in, in, the, in, in global financial markets?
1: Well, you have to make it convertible. Uh, They have been making it more convertible since 2005, but that's 15 years. It's a pretty slow process. Uh, The only competitor I can see to the dollar at the moment is the renminbi, but that's absurd. It's a blocked currency. Uh, They are opening it slowly. Maybe by then uh, the renminbi will be a, a, a truly tradable convertible currency. Uh, but it's not now. And so it's a little, we, we cannot, I cannot talk about that being a viable alternative or even a real competitor. It's, it's working, it's moving in that direction. What is also happening, as you know, uh, the world's medium of exchange is supposed to be neutral. Well, it's not anymore, because if the U.S. gets angry at you, they put sanctions on you and say you can't use the dollar. Well, many people are saying, wait a minute, guys, wait a minute. That's not the way this is supposed to work. So several countries are now looking for a competing currency. I mean, at least five, ten countries doing it because uh, they want it. I mean, it's for political re- but also for economic reasons. We're a huge debtor, but also for political reasons. So people are trying to come up with a competing currency um, to the US dollar. And I'm sure they will because you you cannot have an independent medium of exchange, which can be blocked, which can be sanctioned. That's not the way it can work. So something we are in the process of changing for political and for economic reasons. And of course, all money is going to be on the computer soon um it, 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 if you go to china now you cannot you cannot take a taxi with money you have to use your you have to use your your phone money you cannot buy an ice cream with money in china far ahead of us as far as putting the money on the on the internet and all money is going to be on the internet fairly soon will it be convertible totally convertible that's another question but it's Obviously, if it's on the internet, it's getting closer and closer to being convertible. Jim, I, I just
0: wanted to uh, pivot slightly. And another big investment theme you're, you're obviously well tied to and, and sort of known for is your views on, on commodity markets. And I suppose for a long time, at, at least in the Western eyes, the commodity. Story has been intimately tied to China, and I suppose with with good reason, given given how large a producer and consumer they are of so many commodities. You've also talked about, I suppose, how the value of commodities is in investment portfolios is often underappreciated. Is this a long-term view? Because obviously there are cycles and there's capital destruction which follows each cycle. But on a long-term view, is that your view that that we should all be bullish
1: commodities? Well, I, I wrote a book a couple of decades, a, long, a few years ago, saying, listen, guys, that there have been periods when commodities have been great bulls. There have also been long periods when they've been in great bear markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's always been the case. It, it will always be the case. Uh, yes, supply and demand get out of whack, just like history shows for centuries and at times you better own commodities if you're going to make a lot of money. At other times, you better be short commodities if you're going to make a lot of money. As I look around the world now, Alex, uh, December of 2020, and asset classes, I mean, it's clear bonds are in a bubble nearly everywhere. I mean, bonds have never been this expensive in the history of the world. In the history of the world, that's clearly a bubble. Uh, American stocks are making all-time highs. So, you know, some asset classes are very expensive. UK properties going through the roof. That's that's not a depressed uh, market. The most depressed market I see is commodities at the moment. I mean, you know, silver is down sixty percent from its all-time high. Sugar's down eighty percent from its all-time high. So. I have no idea. I'm very bad at market timing, but I would suspect that commodities are a place where people should be looking if you're look anyway, if you're looking for depressed asset classes, commodities seem to be the cheapest or among the cheapest. Well, at the same time,
0: one of the big, you know, the biggest themes in investing now, at least uh, I suppose in the West seems to be the concern around the environmental impact that certain investments have. And I suppose that's particularly within the resources and commodities space. You know, so that's that's rocketing up the agenda of, of big asset managers and banks and institutions. What are your views on this and how does how does this fit into um the the outlook for commodities? Because I I I, I suppose there's a question if there's pressures on the producers of certain uh, uh commodities in the coming years is that, is that, you know, potentially a, a, another bull signal for, um, for your view?
1: Well, of course it is. If, if you don't have supply, I mean, you work for Investors Chronicle. If you don't have supply, even if demand goes down, you can have a bull market. I can give you many examples in history where reduced supply, even with reduced demand, leads to a bull market. <clears throat> and so, I mean, The average age of farmers in America is 58 now. In Japan, it's 66. The highest rate of suicide in the UK, according to the BBC, is in agriculture. Millions of Indian farmers. More people in America study public relations than study agriculture. Mm -hmm. Now, Alex, I know that means someday farmers are going to be rich again. Uh, You read Investors Chronicle to find out when. But it always leads to that, unless we're not going to eat anymore, unless we're not going to wear clothes anymore. Agriculture has to be very cheap. Commodities have to be very cheap. Jim, Finally, uh, I didn't want to let
0: you go without getting your thoughts. I suppose, as someone who's lived and has latterly watched from afar on on Brexit and, and its impact on on the UK as a destination for companies, finance, investment, deal making. What do what you what, from Singapore? What's your view of of things?
1: Well, you know, my view is uh, what should have happened is they should have abolished Brussels. You know, the, the common market is not the problem. Brussels is the problem. So Nigel should have, all of you guys should have had organized an election to eliminate Brussels and open the common market more and more, which would have been good for everybody, including you. And you would have had a big influence in that kind of market. So, But now it, that didn't work that way, um, I would suspect this is not going to lead to good things for the UK. Um, you have staggering debt, which is, gets more and more mind boggling every day. Uh, The city of London, of course, is going to suffer uh, because, I mean, the Europeans are not going to sit and say, oh, you left and the city should be our our financial center. You know, places like Paris, Amsterdam, many you know the places. They're going to do whatever they can to put business there. And the oil is drying up. Um, Scotland might leave. I mean, I don't know. You, you you, tell me. Northern Ireland might leave. I mean, this could be a, you know, what's it called? The United Kingdom of Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland. It's only been there a couple of hundred years. It doesn't have to be a 2,000 years. It could break up, too. Uh, and what that might lead to when hard times come. Of course, when hard times come, people blame everybody. Mm-hmm. And it 's an obvious example well we 're going to blame each other, blame the foreigners, so no, I mean some of my f- finest moments of my life have been in the u k very finest. My taught in boarding school there and loves it um, but I have to face facts i don 't particularly like what I see uh happening there uh the debt the the inner pressures the United Kingdom of whatever it's called. Uh, And you might also start to, you know, there are lots of separatist movements in Europe now. Many of them will be encouraged. The politicians who will say, well, the British did it. Look at that guy. He became prime minister promoting separate. So there are going to be people in Belgium and other countries that will be encouraged to their own separatist movements, so you're going to see more separatist movements to leave both the EU and to break up their own countries.
0: Right. So you, you see it almost as a catalyst, but potentially for uh, f- you know, further hits to the, the Eurozone then?
1: Well, I, it, history works that way. Right. One of the main lessons of history is people don't learn the lessons of history, you know, in washington right now we have people who don't know history and even if they do they think they're smarter than history well i know some history smarter than washington you know i know that all of this stuff we're all human beings and we all act the same way over and over and over again
0: well a bleak note to end on jim but um <laughs> it's been lovely lovely talking to you and th- thank you so much for your time appreciate it very,
1: very good thank you